God, the world and us, starts in a garden with no shame. Relationships with God and relationships with one another are open, they are warm and they are accepting. We read at the end of Genesis chapter 2 that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Can you imagine what that would be like in our workplaces? Can you imagine a no-shame family? How different would your upbringing have been if your home was even more so a place of warmth and perfect acceptance? We all live with shame and are affected by shame. Now, as we go along in this series, I'm going to share some of my story uh, week by week of times when I've felt shame. Sometimes it's just been embarrassment, but I feel that deep in down that I want to run away and hide like I shared last week about the practical joke that went wrong. Sometimes that shame is deeper and I not only want to hide from other people, but I want to hide from God as well. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to share a deep shame story with you yet. We'll see how we go as the weeks go along. But this one was definitely something that I wanted to hide from. Have you ever sent a text message to the wrong person? Or pressed send before you noticed that there was an embarrassing autocorrect? Well, last week I almost sent... um, a message intended for Naomi to Trent, our session clerk. Almost, I caught it just in time. But I didn't want this message to go to Trent. So it went off to Naomi, but there was no reply. Uh, Over an hour had gone past, almost an hour and a half, uh, with no reply uh, to this cute message. Uh, Now, I've got Naomi's permission to share with you this cute message conversation that we had. We have a bit of a running joke in our family at the moment about Bollywood. Not that Bollywood's a joke, Uh, we have a joke about uh, Bollywood and Bollywood dancing in our family. And so I had sent this uh, text message off to Naomi, this cute message, uh, without reply. Hello, sexy lady, it says. No reply. Until an hour and a half later, and I get this one. Want to know something funny? Hilarious. The crossed out bit there is Naomi's uh, senior colleague at at work, uh, who is also a member of this church, uh, was helping me with something on my computer when your message popped up. He wanted to know if I'd like him to reply. (laughs) Oh dear. Uh, This is how I was feeling right then and still feeling like that now as he's looking at me right now, (laughs) wanting to hide. Uh, Naomi was uh, right on track with the theme and flicked this back. (laughs) And the message ended with this. When we embarrass ourselves, we want to hide. 
We, we, we want to hide when we embarrass ourselves, when we reveal more about ourselves perhaps than we want to. Uh, whether that be something just a little bit silly or perhaps something much deeper and more shameful. Perhaps a moment of sin, perhaps we've responded badly in a situation at work or on the road or uh, with friends or in our families. Perhaps we've mistreated someone. We want, to, we want to cover our face, we want to run away, we want to hide, we want to avoid people and we want to avoid God. I shared with you last week this quote from uh, Brené Brown. She says, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Shame has become my story, our story and the story of the world. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us where this shame comes from. It begins with the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Who or what is this serpent? Well, it's a snake that represents Satan. It's the embodiment of Satan. Uh, More than a poetic fantasy, more than just a character in cartoons, but a real angelic being created by God, but who has turned against God and everything that God has made that is good. And in the true story that unfolds in this chapter, we see the evil scheme of the serpent of the Satan. The serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? That's not actually a question, is it? It's a suggestion. A suggestion for the woman to doubt what God actually said. And it works. The woman starts to twist around in her mind and in what she says, what God said. You see, jump back with me, please, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, to see what God actually said. Chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. But over in chapter 3, verse 2, the serpent is saying, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. God gave a command that spoke of freedom. The crafty serpent is twisting words into restriction and tighter restriction. The shrewd serpent lies in verse 4. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The lie is fed and a new story is introduced into the world. We've got the true story that we've been seeing inside our big Bible that God is good and it's good to be in God's place under his loving rule and blessing. But the new story says God is not good. 
The news story says the garden is not good. The news story says God is keeping something from them. The news story says don't bother with God. He can't be trusted. And so we have two stories in conflict. And that real conflict of these two stories continues to be lived out every single day by every one of us. Uh, Paul says in the first uh, chapter of Romans, he says, though we know God, we think we know better. In our attitude, in our behaviour, in our speech, in our priorities, every single moment when we put ourselves first, every time when we seek to diminish God's presence in our life, every time that we worry more than we trust God, we are listening to the new story, the story that says God is not good. Maybe I know better than God. In the garden, the man and the woman, they eat the fruit, not necessarily an apple, just a fruit, and this new story is written. Sin is born. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her, her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin is born. In the garden they start deciding and we who follow after them start deciding what is good. We've believed the lie that God doesn't have our best in mind for us. We believe the lie that we can and we'll work it out for ourselves. We'll decide what is good. We reject the Creator. We reject the source of all that is good. We reject the one who defines what is good. And this is sin. More than breaking rules, more than ignoring the Ten Commandments, or disobeying the Ten Commandments. Sin is more than breaking rules. Sin is breaking relationship. We see how this works out for the man and the woman in the garden. When sin is born, their relationship with God changes. They hide. Did you see that there in verse 8? When they heard God coming, they hid. In verse 10, after God had asked them where they were, the man answered, verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The relationship changes between them and God and their relationship changes with one another. In verse 7, they, they put on this flimsy covering of fig leaves. In verse 12, they start to blame one another for the mess and the shame that they are in. Verse 13, they blame the serpent for the mess that they are in. The garden is no longer a place of freedom, 
under God's rule and blessing and love. It's no longer a place of no shame, but a prison of fear and shame. Now, this is sadly our world. The world hasn't changed or improved since that time. Our world is polluted with sin. Our, our world is a prison of fear and shame. Our lives are polluted with sin. Our natural instinct is to doubt God, to disbelieve what He says, to set ourselves apart from God. Uh, Beatrice Webb was a social worker in London uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. She was the architect of Britain's modern uh, welfare system. Uh, she wrote this, Somewhere in my diary, probably round about 1890, I wrote, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realise how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man and how little you can count on changing. This is just as true over a hundred years later in 2017, as a pastor, the more that I'm involved in people's lives, I realise just how much sin has messed us up and sin has messed up our families and sin has messed up our workplaces and sin has messed up our community. As I keep honestly exposing my own life, I see again and again just how deep sin is and how widespread I'm contaminated with it. We're in a prison of fear and shame because we have rejected God. Now, we cannot break ourselves out of this prison. We cannot clean ourselves up. We can try to put on a new white shirt that doesn't have the paint stains underneath, but they are still there. We cannot reform ourselves. We need God to step in for us. One of the things that I love about the sign of baptism is that it's this wonderful sign of God's promise to us, this wonderful representation that God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's especially represented in babies, isn't it? We, we don't imagine for a moment that babies are perfect and innocent, even if they look like it. But before they can do anything for themselves, God's promise is true. Before they were even born, Jesus went to the cross. So Romans 5 again, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ took a step towards us. The barrier of the prison wall that was built between us and God, God smashed it down from his side. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The loving, gracious, seeking God that we see in the gospel is the same God who steps towards his people in the garden. In verse 9, he says, where are you? Adam, Eve, my people, where are you? 
You see, while our nature is to hide, God's nature is to seek. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. He told the parables of the, of the woman looking for the lost coin, of the shepherd looking for the lost sheep, of the father looking for the lost son. God's nature is to seek. And when God finds the man and the woman in the garden, we see both the extent of his loving grace and the serious consequences of sin. You see, sin is not okay. And because of sin, God places a curse on the serpent, on the creation, on the man, on the woman, so that they know hardship and pain. They are removed, they are excluded from the garden. But as we see God showing the serious consequences of sin, we also see God's grace. There's a hint that the curse will not be the end of God's story. You see in verse 15, as God's cursing the serpent, verse 15, as he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head, serpent, and you will strike his heel. There's this hint that there will be an offspring from the woman who will rise up, who will defeat the serpent and put him in his place. We also see God's grace in verse 21 as he clothes them. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He took away the flimsy fig leaf that they tried to hide behind and replaced it with a garment of skin. Now God's grace here is pointing us beyond the garden and beyond Genesis to Jesus. Jesus' story is a story of no shame. He is the shameless offspring who does battle with the serpent and crushes him. When Jesus is, is born, his genealogy is recorded in Matthew chapter 1 and his genealogy connects Jesus back through his birth line to his parents in Genesis. Matthew chapter 3 announces God's pleasing assessment of Jesus. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. <clears throat> there is no shame in Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 records how Jesus stands firm in the wilderness against Satan's shrewd lies. Matthew chapter 5 records Jesus' invitation for shame-filled people to know God's blessing. Not through obedience of laws or commands, but through a life that is changed from the inside out to live again under God's rule and blessing. And as Jesus heads to the cross, he will give his life for others. He says to his disciples at his last meal that he shares with them, 
He holds up the, 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 the wine that they are drinking, which has been associated with the, with the Old Testament uh, um, uh, uh, meal of the Passover and celebrating God's rescue from Egypt. And Jesus reinterprets it to say, this is my blood which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. While God gave the man and the woman in the garden a, garden, a, a garment of skin through the shedding of the blood of an animal to cover over their shame, at the cross we see Jesus' blood shed to cover over our shame. This is the gospel message. A message of no shame. A message of grace a message of being loved, a message of being covered, a message of being forgiven in Jesus. A true story. Has it worked through your life to cover over your sin and shame? Is the true story of the gospel in Jesus working its way deep into your life so that it becomes the true story of who you are and how you see yourself before God and before other people. We each have our story. We each have our history. We each have our shame. But if we know the story of Jesus, if we believe the promises of the gospel, are we writing that true story into our lives? Are we facing up to the truth about God, the world and us? You see, how often are you listening to the lies of Satan and allowing him to rewrite the story of your life? How much are you holding on to a shameful past? Are you hiding from God? Shame thrives in hiding. Shame thrives in churches. There are lots of places in churches where we can hide shame. We can be busy. We can look like we're busy. We can give ourselves to serving. It's easy to throw ourselves into helping here and helping there. It's easy to pick up the language of the gospel. It's easy to look like a respected leader so that everyone round about us will believe that story and so then we believe that story for ourselves. This is a false story. A story that hides shame is a false story. A story that hides shame is a story that leads to death. The true story is that God sees us as we are, sin-filled and shame-filled. And He seeks us. He finds us. And He offers to cover over our sin, to take away our shame, to clothe us with Jesus' righteousness. The invitation of the gospel is to come to God and have shame forgiven. 
We're going to celebrate and participate in that invitation as we join together in the Lord's Supper. It's an invitation to know God's grace in Jesus. It's an invitation to know God's love in Jesus. It's an invitation to be covered over with Jesus' righteousness. It's an invitation to have our sin and our guilt and our shame forgiven in Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. The prayer is going to be on the screen behind me. It's also printed in our Vital Info news sheet if you want to look at it there or perhaps take it away to look at later. And if you want this prayer to be your prayer, the prayer of the true story, I'm going to invite you to read this prayer out loud. You might like to say it big and loud in prayer. You might like to just utter it very quietly. You might even like to just say it in your own head. Completely up to you, but I'll read it out loud on behalf of us and you can read along as well if you like. If you want to make this story your story, if you want to keep writing this story as the true story in your life, let's pray together. Dear Creator God and Heavenly Father, I believe that you are all-powerful and perfectly good. I thank you for the good things I see, have and experience in life. But I admit that I take good things from you and use them to cover my shame. I try to hide my sin from others and I hide from you. Thank you for seeking me out. Thank you for your undeserved invitation to deal with my guilt and shame. Thank you that Jesus bore the penalty for my sin. Please forgive me, welcome me and keep me in your love and blessing. Please write your true story of acceptance into my life, family and church. Amen.